Hello, Mr. Albat. How is it today? It's uh, the ground's a little bit wet, so we should have a dry day as far as rain or anything. But uh, it's it's my shoes got really wet this morning from so. the dew, I assume, because it hasn't rained here in I swear forever. No. Ah. Yep, it's the dew. There's a heavy dew here, so they always, you know, we get that weather folklore, rain before 7, done by 11. Uh, When the dew is on the grass, rain will never come to pass. And when the grass is dry at morning's light, look for rain before the night. And that kind of holds true, I think. If you have dry grass in the morning, you got a lot better chance of getting rain than if it's really dewy and wet. You don't get it. So I, I want to say thank you to the friends of the Elberly Public Library for allowing me to speak at their annual meeting and for everybody that showed up on the Pelican Breeze on Sunday. It was it was a great cruise. It was a bit windy out there, you know, which I guess is kind of what happens this time of year. Uh, every cruise before that had the weather had just been behaved so well, so this was probably the coolest one, but it was great. We had lots of kids. Uh, I, I'm not good at counting people. I try, you know, but it's like herding cats for me because I, I lose count somewhere along. It, uh, but it was fun being out there. So, and uh, it, you know, being out there with them, it just brings me wonder and joy. And to those small kids, it seems everything seems like magic, feels like magic. And I try to see the beauty that surrounds me through the eyes of those small children in both the named and the nameless, because there's certainly magic to be found. And I appreciate hanging around with kids because they remind me of that fact. Uh, Crickets are still providing some sassy music in the evening, and this is a time of year that nature's landscape designers show up. Those are raccoons and skunks, and they dig up the lawns looking for those delicious grubs in in the lawn. So that's what they're up to. A noceum bit me. Uh Uh-oh. Boy, I didn't didn't see that coming, you know. (laughs) These are minute pirate bugs. Uh, also known as insidious flower bugs. I love both those names. They're top predators of corn earth, corn earworm eggs. So they're a valuable ally, ally to farmers. And minute pirate bugs are usually felt before they're seen. They're tiny. I'm uh, maybe a fifth of an inch long. But they bite with an impact out of proportion to their size. And minute pirate bugs, they prey on many small pest insects. So they're often found around flowers. And during the fall, they bite us. And these bites may irritate, but for the most part, they have no lasting effects on most of us. These bugs, if you get a look at them, they're flattened. They're oval or triangular in shape. They're black with white wing patches. And during the spring and summer, they have this full-time job eating small insects. So they're eating aphids, thrips, uh, white flies, mites, and insect eggs. And minute pirate bugs are sometimes called noceums. And that's a nickname for dozens of different small biting insects. Uh, Primarily, I would say biting midges. Uh, Some people call them biting gnats or punkies. See, I thought the noceums were all the same bug. I didn't realize there was different bugs for or insects for that particular moniker. So, 
Yeah, and it depends a little bit, I think, where you're at and what uh, what bites you in that area of the world. So okay. they probably get that name. If it's a little thing you can't see, you say, well, boy, that must be a noceum. The biting midges look like mini mosquitoes, and they can be problematic near slow-moving freshwater habitats like lakes, ponds, marshes, and streams. But I notice them, those would be primarily in June through August. So these guys that we have now are these minute pirate bugs. They're attracted to light-colored clothing. They're most active on warm, sunny days. Insect repellents have little effect on minute pirate bugs, but they stop biting when cold temperatures hit. I've used vanilla extract with some success to repel black flies or buffalo gnats, and I've heard from folks saying that it works on minute pirate bugs, too. So you might give that a try. Plus, you, you'll smell really great, and people think <laughs> you've been bacon. Uh, chipmunks, I'm hearing out there, they're doing that cheap, 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 cheap. And the sounds are emitted in the presence of a mammalian predator. And in this case, it's a neighbor's yellow tomcat. And that's what they're chipping out there to let other chipmunks know that there's cats around. The small animals also make a chunk sound. It's a... And they do that in the presence of an aerial predator. And the chipmunk is usually on an elevated surface when producing this sound, and it looks like they're doing uh, push-ups. Some studies have determined that chipmunks might also chip when an aerial predator is near. But I think if they're doing that chunking sound, then it's definitely an aerial predator. I'm seeing some white-throated sparrows. They are whistlers extraordinaire. They've joined the flickers and gleaning the ground for foodstuffs. Uh, The omnivorous bird is a short-distance migrant that winters in the southeast, northeast, and lower Midwest, and as far west as Arizona and the Pacific coast. Uh, The major breeding range of this species in Minnesota is in the northeastern and north-central parts of the state. I just got a text. Somebody said, how many states is the cardinal the state bird of? Hmm. They're the winner in that. Seven. Just think of that. Seven of the 50 states have the cardinal. It's Illinois, Indiana, Kentucky, North Carolina, Ohio, Virginia, and West Virginia, I believe. But why isn't it Arizona since the Arizona cardinals are a team? That's what I want to know. Yeah, because I think, weren't they the St. Louis Cardinals, and then they moved oh, there? Oh, I, I guess that was, I don't know, but that I just assumed that they must be the state bird was the Cardinals, but apparently they, okay, that makes sense then, I guess. I think it's, isn't the, the NBA team the Utah Jazz? Because when you think of jazz, you think of Utah pretty much, but it was because <laughs> that, that team also moved there. And oh. the Los Angeles Lakers. Boy, that is wrong. It was the Minneapolis Lakers, Mm -hmm. and then they moved to Los Angeles, and they let them keep the name. There should be a rule. You've got to come up with your own name. You can't use our name anymore. We're saving that. And then we could have, you know, the Timberwolves now, I guess, is a pretty good name. But, boy, the Lakers. That was just a great name for a Minnesota team. They should make them retire that name, just like they do certain jerseys and things. I, I think that would only be fair. I agree. It's just, uh, or they have to pay us a bazillion dollars. <laughs> hey, Al, I got a, just got a text from your friend in Austin. I don't know. That's how they signed it. Your friend in Austin. I thought about you 
meaning you, being out on the Pelican Breeze when I was on the paddle boat in Stillwater would have been more fun with you guys out there. Oh, Diana Kinney. It says, hope you read this on your show today. And she says, the Pelican Breeze is so neat. What a cool guy. There you go. Uh, and what a cool person Diane is. You know, there's some people that you just say, what a nice person and nice means great so thank you diana um hearing from chad hines he said on uh chad does the the hawk watch in and around uh, at bethany and um, land of memories he said on september 20th the birds are starting to flow now sunday we had 11 species 54 birds at bethany uh thanks had a good push of broadwing hawks at bethany at that time, you're in the broad-winged hawk window, if we can call it that. That's when you see these large kettles of hawks flying over. Uh, Tuesday, a week ago, we had our second triple-digit count of the week, and Marty and the Greshes enjoyed uh, the third Mississippi kite of the season. Wednesday, the cooler temperatures and northwesterly winds were much appreciated and fueled the Bethany's site to another triple-digit day. Broadwings carried the day, but we also had good numbers of sharp shins, coopers, and red-tail hawks. The local red-tails were also working along the ridge much of the day. Uh, Monday, this past week, had certainly been the busiest of the season, but we may fail to reach 1,000 broadwing hawks for the first time in a very long time. Weather dictates how the migration goes, and we may have had the perfect storm to push them away from Mankato. I felt that Saturday was our last great chance at a big broadwing push, and every hour the number of broadwings decreased. And we had only one yesterday. Often we can see a changeover from broadwings to red tails, but we really haven't seen a lot of red tails yet. They are definitely becoming more common, though. Uh, we had northwest winds on Monday, which are typically very productive, but birds were trickling by for the most part. We did not see a single broadwing hawk, which suggests that their migration has largely come to an end. We did have two dark morphs, red tails, which were the highlights. You might uh, still see some broadwings, folks uh, flying way up high there. Their wings, to me, they kind of look like uh, candle flames as they fly over. Not that they're bright or anything, but just a shape. Uh, John Holt of Albert Lee sent me a photo of a juvenile cardinal, and the young cardinals are... Uh, they're sort of a grayish look to me. I know that's not the exact color, but one of the things you really notice on juvenile cardinals, they have a dark bill, so it's not. Uh, it hasn't got that colorful cardinal bill. Helen Abramson of Duluth said, I've told people that if I had the ability to wiggle my nose like the gal on Bewitched a couple <laughs> times a year, I'd wiggle my nose and everything in ditches everywhere would return to the vehicle from which they originated. <laughs> Maybe you can figure out how to do that. I'll, I'll work on that, Helen. I, I, I wish you had that ability. That would be a wonderful thing. I I see, um, the other day I was sitting at a stop stoplight, because that's what we do, and the person up in front of me was just emptying all kinds of stuff onto the road as Aww. we sat by a stoplight. So you just, I don't know what you do, you know. it's You want to do something, but... But what? Know. Yeah, good question. Yeah. 
Hey, we have uh, somebody, before you go to Neil, I want to talk about Dick McIntosh, one of our listeners, who just added to our conversation about Cardinals, and he says, weren't the Cardinals in Chicago first? And so I had to double check. He said, the professional American football team, now known as the Arizona Cardinals, previously played in Chicago, Illinois, as the Chicago Cardinals from 1898 to 1959 before relocating to St. Louis. And so uh, and then they became, of course, the Arizona Cardinals. So they've kind of been around the block, those Cardinals. They certainly have. And Dick, hi, Dick, what a great guy. Um, he, he is certainly correct. They were the Chicago Cardinals, which just sounds wrong, doesn't it? Because <laughs> it should be Chicago Bears. We, we watched Saturday Night Live with their coach, Ditka, on there, the Bears, and the Cardinals just wouldn't have, sounded right but he is uh, very correct so a lot of those names just move around the country and now you think of st louis cardinals you think of the baseball team uh, i'm a i'm a st louis cardinal fan of the baseball team so um, thank you dick it's great to hear from you and he is certainly correct uh, neil bad of heartland who is my nephew he sent me photos of a walking stick and a praying mantis he is building a home for somebody, and he's found them while he's building this house. So he's there. it's a young praying mantis, a little green thing. He took a picture of it on his hand, but two really cool things to see. Uh, you wonder if maybe a gardener around the area might have ordered some of those. Uh, we do see them on occasion. Uh, Brenda Sorensen of Albert Lee asked what to do about an injured pelican. And I told her about the Wildlife Rehabilitation Center in Roseville. The problem with these guys when they're hurt is they're almost impossible to catch until they're in uh, such dire straits that it's hard for them to survive. Uh, Brad Abendroth saw a Townsend Solitaire in Lesseur County and just heard uh, this morning from uh, Janine Schendel Aker. And it's A-A-K-E-R. And Janine, I hope I got that right. She says, yay, a place I can ask bird observation questions. We camped at Big Island, and that's um, Myrie Big Island State Park near Albert Lee, the last two nights and observed a spectacular display of birds swarming over Albert Lee Lake just at sunset. Thousands of birds swooping and soaring. We assumed they were feeding on insects. What kind of birds were they? There may have been two sizes, both around blackbird size. Thank you for any help. I would uh, say swallows and nighthawks would be my two sizes. Uh, you know, you think, oh, are they migrating? Why do some birds migrate at night? You wonder. You know, when they want to fly during the day when they can see. But the majority of songbirds migrate at night. Now, when I say that, swallows are primarily diurnal, daytime migrants. But the, the ones that migrate at night, they include warblers, sparrows, orioles, flycatchers, thrushes, and cuckoos. And most of these birds are denizens of the... The deep woods, well, just the woods anyway, and other sheltered habitats. And they aren't real agile flyers. And so they use these dense habitats to avoid bird predators. So 
So migration at night has its advantages. Birds don't have to worry about falcon or hawk attacks. The air is usually less turbulent than during the day and cooler at night. A migrating bird produces excess heat that needs to be released, and most of that heat's lost from their unfeathered legs. And the colder the air temperature, the quicker the heat can be lost. So some species of birds migrate during the day. These are include hummingbirds, pelicans, hawks, falcons, swifts, and swallows. And these birds are strong flyers. The larger birds take advantage of thermals that develop during the day, and that helps them travel. Swifts and swallows feed on the wing during the day as they migrate. And then our friends, the common nighthawks, they migrate both day and night, but the largest flights occur within two hours of sunset with the highest numbers at dusk and they will detour to chase flying insects. They swoop erratically on deep wing beats, and it resembles a flight of a bat. And the nighthawks can produce a booming sound from their wings as they pull up from a dive, and this is the reason nighthawks are sometimes called bull bats. But, Janine, to your question, I think you will be seeing the swallows, and they are out there feeding before they go to bed. And they also stage. So you'll see them on uh, trees or utility wires. So they're staging. So the next morning they'll be able to take off right away in a flock. So the ones you're seeing there are these swallows and nighthawks. And I agree, it's it's just one of the coolest sights to see that many birds all feeding on insects around the water. And why are they around water? Well, they can get a drink if they need one because you see swallows come down and drink a little bit of water. But it's primarily that's where their food is. There would be a lot of insects there. And speaking of insects, just got a note from uh, a listener saying, why are there so many grasshoppers this year? I farm near Glenville, Minnesota. I don't know if I've seen so many grasshoppers. We had a lot of aphids this year on the soybeans. Is this connected in any way? I, I, you know, the major factor affecting grasshopper population is the weather. You know, it's pretty much a major factor affecting pretty much everything. Outbreaks or exceptionally large populations are usually preceded by several years of hot, dry summers oh, and warm that, autumns. Okay. So dry weather increases the survival of nymphs and adults. And warm autumns allow grasshoppers more time to feed and lay eggs. Uh, dry weather or drought, that likely meant we had a large grasshopper population going into this year. And the dry weather some parts of Minnesota experience meant the population has continued to grow. So does that mean next year, Al, that it's going to be even worse? That was my concern because I agree with them. I've been seeing so many more grasshoppers as well. And I think, well, that means they're all breeding. And does that mean they're going to be even more next year? So it'll be like the plague of locusts? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I, I guess, you know, in dry areas, pr- there's a, probably a good chance Ooh, of that. Yuck. Um, yeah, and the ones we're seeing, uh, uh, we're seeing mostly differentials, and they have like chevrons on their hind legs, and you see them in all different sizes. There were a lot of Carolina grasshoppers. Some people call them Carolina locusts. Some other people call them butterfly 
grasshoppers because when they fly, they resemble a morning cloak butterfly, and they crepitate. They make a clicking noise when they fly, and crepitation, you know, grandpa's knees make that (laughs) crepitating sound. So that's what crepitating is. And the reason we don't have huge grasshopper populations during rainy years is that wet weather promotes the development and spread of grasshopper killing fungus. Uh And this fungus infects grasshoppers and hijacks their bodies. So this time of year, if you see an unmoving grasshopper high on a plant, uh, there's a good chance you're seeing a grasshopper that's been attacked by this fungus. And they are, uh, boy, they're just everywhere. I walked down to the mailbox. I was cool this morning, but there's the grasshoppers out there. They're a little slower moving in the cold weather, but they're just everywhere. And you will see them on a lot of things. Uh, They love to eat leaves. And I I don't know if there's a leaf they really don't like. They're like Japanese beetles in some ways where they'll just chew on pretty much everything they find out there. And, of course, we hear about all the the great plagues in the Bible, the locusts and uh, the Mormon crickets that attacked uh, the saints out in Utah. So there's these guys can... They can be bothersome. I guess we, we we don't get them in those kind of plagues, but they can be a, a problem for gardens and things. You just, I'm always happy to see a couple grasshoppers. I guess I don't need to see <laughs> thousands of them. You know, but uh, we'll. I've noticed a lot more crickets too. Is that the case as well? Are they kind of like grasshoppers? I wonder in terms of liking hot, dry weather, because it seems like there's an awful lot of those this year too. I think there are, and uh, I know I've mentioned this before, but when I hit my garage door opener, which is a wonderful thing because, you know, as a kid we had to all rush out. Of course, we had cattle, so we were forever closing gates, so we were used to that. But you'd pull up. uh, People tell us stories about the kids always being the TV remote, you know. Hey, go up there and change that channel for Dad. Ours was you had to open the garage doors and close the gates, so you're forever out there. And it, you know, it rained a lot while you were doing that, and so you're out and you're getting wet and closing that, and then you had to you know, wave them in. And I now I press the little button, and it's just it's amazing. It goes up, and I drive in. And I press the button, and it goes down. And I know some people have automatic ones where you just pull up, and that little beam of light says, whoop, there's a car here, up it goes. And But it, when that door goes up, there's always a line of field crickets, the black shiny ones, in the brushes of that garage door. And when it goes up, they all run inside the garage. <laughs> None of them run the other way. They, you'd think some of them would say, oops, I didn't want to go in there. No, they all run into the garage. So I don't know what sort of population of crickets I have in my garage, but I know there's a lot of them. And people in uh, some of uh, all Japan and places, they keep them as pets. They want ones that sing really, really well. And uh, field crickets are great singers. My favorite here is a snowy tree cricket, which can be anywhere from kind of white to green. And they sing uh, lovely, like, jingle bells. 
and I, I love hearing them. The worst, I love seeing them. I was going to say the worst kind of crickets is the kind if you're trying to get to sleep and they're chirping and, and, you, and you can't figure out where they are because that seems to happen once in a while. Yeah, and I remember as a kid, you'd sleep in the basement once in a while when it got really hot or when it got really cold, too. But when it got really hot, I'd sleep down there, and it was an old basement that stuff could get into, and there was always crickets in there. So I'd fall asleep listening to the chirp of crickets. So after a while, I just kind of... I got used to it, I guess. I probably would have had trouble sleeping for a little while if I didn't hear that. But their uh, population numbers are, I'm sure, impacted by weather of various kinds. And they are, uh, they're just, I like seeing crickets for, I, I don't know, I, I want to say Jiminy Cricket, if some of you remember Jiminy Cricket. I like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's a song about That's that. It. I love Jiminy Cricket, and I think maybe when I somehow I just cricket and all of a sudden Jiminy flashes in. And uh, as kids, we used to say, Jiminy Crickets. You know, that was something we could say without Mom giving us that look like, what did you say? And so, and people eat crickets. Uh, some people eat a lot of crickets, and there's a lot of folks that are writing that say this could be an answer to uh, food for everybody somewhere in the future. I have eaten crickets. I've eaten grasshoppers. Uh, I don't know. You know, McDonald's isn't handling either one of them yet, so that would be, uh, you I know, think, I'm, once. I guess we have probably all eaten crickets, crickets and probably every insect you can imagine. You know, somehow they get in the food sources, whether it's in the oats that's ground up or things. So we probably all, if we look at it, have eaten crickets <laughs> at some point. Yeah, and uh, certainly a lot of... Uh, the little grain moths, larvae, and beetles and things, you know, we've we've certainly eaten a lot of those, I'm sure, whether we know it or not. And um, I, I remember eating crickets. I don't remember a whole lot about them, and they seem to be okay. Aren't they crunchy? I know that they, uh, the, the grasshoppers were. Oof. I don't remember the crickets being so. Oof. And the grasshoppers were quite good, and the ants were excellent. So, And they like... They like warmth, so they like coming into, you know, the kitchen or the where the furnace is and things like that. So they like to be warm, just like we do when cold weather hits. They are, uh, I think, dry weather comes uh, really helps them too. Uh, they'd be just like grasshoppers, so dry weather would be better for them than really really wet weather. So when we get dry weather, if we keep dry weather this fall, we'll probably have more crickets and more grasshoppers. But, you know, who knows what the fall is? It's been kind of cool here, so maybe that will. But we can blame dry weather on a lot of things, you know, a lot of places, uh, no no water or little water and uh, crops, and we can blame it for uh, a great number of grasshoppers as well. Hey, I want to thank everybody for uh, sitting on the front porch with us. You know, I I was out, I walked a Mormon pioneer, California, Oregon Trail, and then there was something about Buffalo Bill Cody there, and it always, Buffalo Bill Cody was born in Iowa, 
and he used his showmanship skills and and fabrications to make himself famous and he prospered he prospered on the gullible he did all these things with the pony express he said which he didn't do cuz he wouldn't have been around then but my grandmother was born Anna Sundström or Sundström in Sweden and she moved to this country, and she became a teacher in Iowa. And my mother always said, unlike Buffalo Bill, Anna Sundstrom could not tell a lie. And uh, my mom would always say that she was just kind of brutally honest sometimes. Her husband was a spendthrift, but Grandma practiced great perseverance. Yeah, I just made up a word there, perseverance. <laughs> it was hard to get into that purse. So I have Swedish ancestry. Not too much, not too little, just enough. And many people claim to be of Swedish descent when they're not. And why wouldn't they? These social climbers are known as artificial Swedeners. Artificial Swedeners. Boy, I came up with perseverance <laughs> and Swedeners. Oh, dear. Remember, folks, Heartland is while we're driving past. Thanks for listening to us. Uh, do something wild today. Get out there and look at a bird. Thank you, Karen, as always. I hope you have your best day ever. Hey, you too, Al. It's always great to chat with you. We'll be back next week. Happy bird watching. Thanks. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye, Al.